I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Um, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, focus some time on your word, focus some time on um, your love for us. Um, I thank you that we, we are a church that really um, encourages the embracing of your presence as a habitation and not just a visitation, but we also recognize that there are those sweet moments when we get to bask in your glory and when we come face to face with you and everything that you have to offer and for us and everything that you are. And so we praise you for that. God, I ask the words today that they would be your words, that I would be diminished and you would be amplified. Father, come and minister this morning. Amen. Okay, so my name is David. I know many of you, um, some, of, some of you really well, some of you I'm just getting to know, some of you um, we don't really know yet, but my name's David and I um, have been here for a, a, lot, a lot of time. Um, and so we, uh, I, I was on staff at church for a number of years and now I work um, with a group called Youth for Christ. Um, I've been on staff with Youth for Christ for um, 11 years now, the first 10 plus years of that time, was as something called a campus life director, um, where basically um, recruiting and empowering adult leaders to engage in authentic Christ-sharing relationships with students ages 11 and 19-year-old. My focus for those 10 plus years was uh, Bloomington South was my, my school of focus. And about, well, it was in January, um, I had an opportunity um, that God drugged me into, and I, then I willingly said, I willingly said yes after I was kicking and screaming for a little bit, um, to move into a role of what's um, the, the executive director role of our chapter of Youth for Christ. So I get an opportunity to um, kind of lead the charge and share the vision and mission of Youth for Christ in our seven-county area, which is just a really, really cool um, and overwhelming and enormous um, opportunity. Um, but really, really pumped about that. But I wanted to start out, um, this is kind of a primer message. This is part one, and part two will be delivered at another time, and I'll tell you a little bit about that later. But um, it's kind of priming the pump for um, what I believe can be a really, really cool um, opportunity and gateway for us to, to enter into uh, maybe just a little bit different way of thinking about life. So I wanted to share YFC's mission um, Youth for Christ reaches young people everywhere, working together with the local church and other like-minded partners to raise up lifelong followers of Jesus, and that those lifelong followers of Jesus might lead by their godliness and lifestyle, devotion to prayer and the Word of God, passion for sharing the love of Christ, and commitment to social involvement. All of those are really special and unique in their own way. But a verse that's really key, that is a driving verse for us, can be found in Mark 10. It's Mark 10:45. says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Youth for Christ, we wholeheartedly embrace the and. 
of Mark 10, 45. Jesus came to serve and to deliver the message of transformation. He came to embrace and to liberate. We look to him as we carry out that and, okay? And so it's, that, it's the call to act, but with an eternal perspective. It is more than just, um, it's a nonprofit, right? And there's a lot of nonprofits that are excellent. It is more than just serving and, 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 and um, meeting a need that is physical and maybe right in front of us. It is that and there's this Jesus piece because without that, it's ultimately hollow. Okay, and so that's the drive. That, that, that's, that's kind of a little bit about Youth for Christ. Our passion is to minister in the name of Jesus. And so we choose to walk the very same bridge that Jesus used, the and bridge, combining both Christian service and Christ's sacrifice. I want to pose a few questions for you today. Answer these to yourself. How has the freedom that is found in Christ impacted you? Think about that on, on a very personal level. If you have experienced freedom that's found in Christ, how has that, what does that look like in your life? I want you to answer that in your head right now. Have you experienced his freedom, his liberation, his transformation? What are you at liberty from now? What are you transformed from? For my, my friend Rosanna says from BC, from before Christ. She, she talks about BC Rosanna and what that person looked like and how it's not recognizable today. Think of yourself at a time in your life when you were choosing something other than Jesus. Maybe you were experiencing brokenness or shame. And shame is a punk. Maybe you were experiencing fear. Maybe you were experiencing a feeling of, of purposelessness. Or addiction. Think about maybe even someone that's been close to you where who they are now, when you think of them 5, 10, 30 years ago, unrecognizable, right? Is Pat Evoy in here? I don't think he is. I think I saw him out in the hallway. He just celebrated 35 years, I think, right? 35 years of sobriety. He talks about, he, he, I've sat down with him. He, he shared in our campus life meetings in a large group setting. I've sat down with him um, with a young man who was trying to walk away. Um, this young man came to me and he said, I'm 18 years old and I'm an alcoholic and I don't know what to do about it. He would be, he would be puking drunk in student sections in, in high school. And somehow he would get away with it. And, but he, he came broken and, and just wrecked by something other than Jesus. But he had tasted Jesus and he wanted more of Jesus. And I said, you got to meet my friend Pat. Think about someone in your life close to you whose life is unrecognizable now because of the touch of Jesus. Think about yourself in that scenario. Now I want you to think about who 
in your life that you care deeply for is still in that place, is still in that BC, fill in the name. Maybe it's someone you have prayed for every night for years. Maybe it's someone who's just on your heart right now that, that like, you hadn't really thought of it in that context, but wow, boy, if that person's life could be liberated by Jesus, wouldn't that be the coolest thing ever? The Lord says in Isaiah 49, 16, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls and ruins. That's, that's another way of saying it. When you know the context and you, you dive into that um, story a little bit, you recognize basically God's people, his creation. He sees this broken, he sees the brokenness. He sees the mortar and the brick and the cement and the rubble and all of that. And whenever he closes his eyes, that's the picture in his mind. He sees that, and he's broken for that. The, the scripture is telling us that we are not alone in that desire to see their lives rescued. We're not alone in that desire to see their lives restored and redeemed. His heart is broken and yearning for them too. He knows they've been created and, and that, we, that we have been created in his image. He knows that. He knows what the, what the tower, what, the, what the, the fortress of a city looks like, what the whole life is, what the, what the completed person is, what the created image of God looks like. And he sees the brokenness and wants to intervene. And he's inviting us to be a part of the rebuild. We are liberated by his forgiveness and propelled by his love to continually declare his mercy and his truth. And we're invited to be ministers of this grace, of his grace on campuses and in offices, in wide open spaces and congested street corners. He, he invites us to be ministers of his grace in, in those places, to, to outcasts, to, to, to the terrified, to the transparent, to, um, to the affluent to the powerful. Who is it in your life that, that is in those places that you're like, man, if that person's life could be touched, God, that's the one that I'm praying for. So we're going to dive in. Um, if you have your Bibles or you have your app, 2 Corinthians today is where we're going to spend some time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read um, verses 11 to 21. So this is Paul here. Talking in the church of Corinth, well, just one of the churches could be the church of, of Bedford. It doesn't matter, you know, one of, the, one of the towns that God has invited Paul to be um, an ambassador to and to communicate his message to. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. It says this. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. 
If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one point, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. I was in another church and they, somebody said, I think that was the pastor said, who am I talking to, right? It was like an invitation to feedback. I, I, I hear a, a hello from Steve, right? I hear, I hear a little bit of verbal response, right? I love, the, I love, I love that. But who am I talking to, right? The, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we... We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never even sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As believers, we are God's ambassadors. I talked about the, the Campus Life team that, that got, uh, I got to be a part of for so many of those years. Basically, it's a, we got to serve as part of a go team. Go into wherever God was calling. For us, it, it was this Bloomington South community. And it still is. There's just another um, person running point. We, we love the story of the shepherd with 99 sheep in this corral that the Bible tells us about. How the shepherd has all these 99, but he knows there's one other one out there. He knows there's another one out there that isn't in the safe confines of this fence. And willingly says, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to leave the safety and security of all of these 99. And I'm going to do whatever it takes and expose myself to whatever danger become. To go find that one. Think, of, think about what a shepherd is, is giving up. Okay, you know what? 99. I'm pretty content. I would have been thrilled with a 99 on most of my tests, on all of my tests that I ever took in school. I'm, I'm cool with that, right? 80. I'm straight, okay? That was, my, that was my goal every time. If I'm in the 80s, I'm good. He's a 99. And he says, no, that's not good enough because that one matters too much. And the shepherd says, okay, I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to leave you in the corral where there is safety. And I'm going to expose myself to wild animals. 
Anybody walk through? I mean, some people might find it relaxing. A lot of people probably don't find walking through the woods at night very, it's, it's unnerving, okay? <coughs> but exposing himself to anything that the world might throw at him. To not even know if that sheep is going to want to come back. To not even know that that sheep is still safe. We're invited into that space to chase anyway. As God's ambassadors, we are invited into that space to chase anyway. We've said a number of times over the years, a a quote around here, Jesus' church is about those who aren't here yet, right? Empty seats are a motivation for us because we know God has commissioned us to spread his fame. I did one of those cute little um, preacher things, and we've got like five D's today that we're going to go through that you'll see in your outline. The first one is our duty. Perhaps the most notable commissioning of believers, if you've been in church very long, you probably will have heard Matthew 28, 19, when he told his disciples, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, go and do this. This is your commissioning. Here in our passage today, we see that Paul has taken ownership of that charge that Jesus has given. And he says in verse 11, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we will work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. I hope you know this too. Our duty is to persuade people. How do we do that? I didn't used to enjoy public speaking. I kind of do now. Sometimes you don't always feel like it. Sometimes you just do it. I didn't used to like it at all. Um, But I remember always having zero desire to be on like a debate team. That seems like no fun. Okay. Some, some people's personalities are wired for that kind of thing. Like those people that are on like radio talk shows and news stations at night and everything, they just like argue all the time. That like hurts my soul. Like I have no desire to be in one of those chairs, one of those talking heads. That just sounds horrible. I don't even like, even in the sports world, those are the worst parts of ESPN or anything like that where these talking heads are just arguing about things all the time. And I'm like, that is, ugh, Okay. I'm not inviting you into that. I'm not saying that there's not a place for what, what maybe the church would call apologetics or anything. That but that's not how the majority of us are invited into this space. This is how a, a majority of us are invited in this place. I, I, um, Mom sent me a quote a number of years ago. It was probably, gosh, at least a decade, maybe 15 years ago now, that I've kind of kept in front of me. and it, I, can't, I don't even know who, who, who it's from. But it says this, it says, Christ's presence ought to be so evident in your life that the people around you are drawn to you. If I just stopped there, that would be enough. God, I want that to be the reality in my life, that your presence is so strong in my life, so evident, that people around me are drawn, drawn in. I remember hearing a story, I can't remember who it was, um, some, I think it was an evangelist in Chicago area or something. And he's like in a convenience store and somebody just comes up and is just like, 
I don't know who you are, but I, I need to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> like, like he was just like, there was like this aura around him almost, not to sound new age or but there was just like, the, the presence of God is, is not contained within our own understanding of it. So, so the, there is such a presence of God around this person that they're like, hey, I just need to talk to you. Um, I don't know why, but there's this, there's this pulling in my heart right now. I need to talk to you about Jesus. And they just like sat and prayed in the convenience store, like, uh, store I guess. Um, but Christ's presence ought to be so evident in your life that the people around you are drawn to you. They should want their children to be with your children because your children are being raised with a godly influence. Employers ought to want you in their workplace. Think about that. What a challenge that is, that they would want you in their workplace. People, people should seek you for their leader because they know you as someone of integrity before God. Your life, your home ought to be a magnet for people as they sense God's presence with you and your family. The more you allow Christ to make his presence evident in your life, the more people will draw near you and find him. That is possible only through the transformative power of Jesus. It isn't something that we naturally can just kind of muster up and work up in ourselves. That is, that's what happens when we die to ourselves and allow him to live in us. That's the opportunity that as believers we have in front of us that we get to shoot for every day. If we're honest with ourselves, we're also like, whew, maybe that's the social media version of myself, but if they were really around me every day, it's like, uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but the, um, I think it was Dan Dockage just wrote a book about Bob Knight, and it said something like, no man is a hero to his valet. Somebody who stood by a local legend's side for years and years. And then he finally writes kind of an expose later on saying, actually, it wasn't anything like what everybody thought. Or maybe it was, but because we were winning, it didn't matter. But here's what actually happened. What if as believers, not that we're desiring to be the hero of the story, but what if we as believers, what if a book is written about our life and it's different than that? I want the book about my life to be different than that. I don't want people who are close to me to later say, man, yeah, he looked good on stage and can say these really good things, but you know what? His life actually sucked. He was a turd. He treated everybody around him like just garbage. I love it how some people still laugh when I say turd on stage. That can seem, the, the, that description, that quote can seem so far out there from our reality. Here's another quote that I love. I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted by my coach and my teammates to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Anybody know who said that? Michael Jordan. We are not going to hit that mark every time. But if that's what we're shooting for, and we're legitimately dying to ourselves and allowing him to live in us, that's what people will see in us. People don't remember MJ as someone who was unreliable and a shot misser. In fact, he's regarded as potentially the greatest athlete and competitor of all time. 
There's not a ton of people that are under 20 in here that are deluded enough to think that LeBron James is stepping into that category. But <laughs> for those of us who are aware and know, Michael Jordan was the most un unbelievable athlete ever, okay? Verses 18 and 19. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So he's, he's given us this message, this reconciling message with our creator, and he said, go spread the word. We're just trying to share what's been given to us already. Now, this all seems so easy, right? Like, you experience God's love, then you share it. You found this awesome, like, I, I've, I've, I've communicated this before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an updated version of this. I often talk about when I had always kind of grown up in a Christian home, I'd been taught values, I saw the importance of things, I saw, I saw that Jesus was good, and it was like, the, like a Twinkie, okay? And it has this nice, fluffy golden cake substance, right? But then something happens. You take that little clear wrapper off and you bite in and something else happens. There's more there than you thought. There's this white cream filling that is sweet, okay, and, and delicious. Now here's what I'm going to be most honest with you. I used to love Twinkies. I have walked away from Twinkies, okay? Now, oatmeal cream pies, I think, are the greatest snack food in the history. I recently saw a definitive ranking by Little Debbie on Twitter that put oatmeal cream pies as number one, number one selling of all their snack foods. There's nutty bars, there's zebra cakes, there's Abby prefers fudge rounds. What is wrong with that, okay? Oatmeal cream pies are the definitive. That is my new, I'm, tr I'm exchanging my, my Twinkie story from 15 years ago, and I am now inserting oatmeal cream pies. But it's this wonderful oatmeal cake substance, and then if you buy the regular size ones, it's the perfect amount of sweetness and cream filling. Okay? It's delicious. And that's what Christianity is. It can look really good, and it can be sweet, and it can be great, but then when you sink your teeth in, you find out how great. And so we have this sweet snack, and then we share it. It should be super easy. Won't everyone be begging you to get in on the action? Doesn't everybody want oatmeal cream pies and fudge rounds or Twinkies or whatever it is? Not everybody? No? What's, what's your sweet snack? What, what's your thing? Did I get a no over there? Oh, you do now? Yeah, I know. I thought about this way too late. I thought about saying, hey, look under your seat right now. You have a little Debbie. That would have been so great. I know, so disappointed, man. <laughs> they do. Sometimes, I don't, I don't wrestle with that, but sometimes I just wonder, if I'm gluten-free, I think that I might trade it for hives or fevers or whatever else <laughs> might come of my body for an occasional oatmeal cream pie. But the... But, won't everybody be begging for that if, if there's this thing that is just good and sweet? You know, like, 
But the reality is they're not, right? And it's only, this problem is only just, it just feels like it's ever increasing in our culture that we have this, what I've deemed, our dilemma. And our dilemma is found in verse 13. If it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Or another translation, I love this one, says, if we're out of our mind, as some say, some say you're going to be out of your mind. When you're following Jesus, you're out of your mind. Deal with it, okay? That's part of it. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. Our dilemma is looking foolish. As good as that oatmeal cream pie is, Jesus is even better. Sharing our little Debbie snacks, it, it's not that easy. In reality, people are not climbing over each other to get their share of these things. In reality, when we offer up our spiritual snack with non believers, we risk looking foolish. This doesn't make any sense, okay? There's some things about this that it, there is a faith aspect to it that you just have to take that step of faith that not every, every I is going to be dotted and T is going to be crossed. It, it, we will get that, that clear picture someday, but there is a faith aspect in the meantime where we risk looking foolish. You might be the only person in your workplace or your school or your household, who knows what you have to offer. That's all the more important. God saw it fit to put you there. We have the greatest life-changing news ever, but in order to share, we have to be willing to accept the possibility of looking foolish. It's just something that we have to deal with. Guy named John Wimber, huge in the starting of the vineyard, he said, I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? So if I'm going to act like a fool and do this Jesus thing right, the person that I'm banking on is going to be the dude who was crazy enough to send his one and only son with me in mind. And that is our next D on here, our drive. Verse 14 says, the, uh, the passage that we've been reading, either way, Christ's love compels us. One, one translation says, controls us, compels us, urges us on. Christ's love urges us on. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. So our drive is Christ's love. It's what compels us and urges us on. What comes to mind when you think about what Christ's love has looked like in your life? I asked you, I posed some questions earlier. Think about yourself. If you are walking with Jesus now, if you have experienced some transformation, think about yourself, B.C., before Christ. What does his love look like in your life? Is it the strength you felt when you walked away from addiction that was wrecking your life? Is it the unexplainable comfort you felt when someone close to you died? 
Was it the emotions that stirred up in you the first time you saw a movie like The Passion of the Christ and you got just a glimpse? Just a glimpse, a visual glimpse. You can't even, even feel it. You can't even smell the blood and, and hear the cries in person. It's, it's this thing on a, um, on a monitor that you're watching. But you got just a glimpse of what it was like for Jesus as he was being led to that cross. Is it the joy you feel when you just even think for a moment what it would be like to be dancing? To be dancing with a father who loves you unconditionally. I was at a wedding recently and I just sat there and I, I'm a softie now. Um, and, but I, I was just sitting there welled up like for the whole time as I watched people dance. These really significant and meaningful dances that spoke stories of redemption and hope. Maybe you've never experienced that kind of love from a parent in your life, but maybe just the thought of that is the, the part of Christ's love that compels you. Is it the confidence that you have that no matter what happens to you, you can bank on the fact that God is going to and is capable of taking care of the people that you love far better than you can ever hope to do on your own. What does Christ's compelling love look like in your life? I want you to write it down. Take out a paper, take out a pen, take out your phone and type yourself a note. Who am I talking to, right? What has Christ's love look like in your life? If there's anyone that can briefly share a 15 to 20 second version of that, spurt it out. What is an area where God has shown up and Christ has shown his love in your life?
Yeah. Over 30 years of a church family is what God's provided in your life. Lifelong friend. She mentioned a friend, Jenny Miller. She, for Rayetta, it has looked like over 30 years of a church family of a place where she's known that she can be loved and accepted and, and, and that feeling that she's talked about. Over 30 years of that. 1988, she said. Wow. Anybody else real quick? What's something in your life where there's a tangible moment where you just, you, you, that, that spurs you on. When you think about Christ's love, just real quick. Yeah. In a season of incapability, when everything is taken away, even senses of identity and senses of security, God is there. 30 years ago, what was that? I don't, I, I've lost track of time. How many months ago? Three, 30 years ago and three months ago. Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. So now, so we've talked about our, our duty is persuading people, right? With both our actions and our words. Our dilemma is that we might look foolish. Our drive is this compelling love of Christ. So what exactly are we hoping for? Our desire. What is our desire? Verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. We want those who God has created, everybody, right? Everybody. We want people to know him personally. To know him. That's what we want. We want them to come back to God and to know him. One of the most common struggles of our church is to handle this role of ambassador well. We often come across as God's judges instead of ambassadors. Our desire may not be to cast judgment, but maybe we're even often perceived as that. We have to be willing to take that risk. Okay? I, 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 was, I didn't know if I was going to share this or not. I've gone back and forth. 
I've shared before how Abby and I have felt a calling on our life. We don't drink alcohol, okay? It's not a scriptural thing. There's there's a lot of layers to it. Ultimately, our lives and our families have been severely wounded by abuse of a substance. And so God, at a young age, impressed it on both of us. We, We were dating in high school and in college before we got married, but at a young age, God impressed it on our hearts that that was something he was asking us to stay away from. It isn't a condemning on other people that many of my friends and many of you drink alcohol, okay? That isn't what what this is about, so please wash that away. God asked us to do something, and in following and in obedience to that, we have often been perceived as judging others who do drink alcohol, okay? In a family setting or in a a social setting, it doesn't matter. There's been scenarios, and all it is is the enemy is a liar and deceiver and manipulator and twists things, right? What is done out of pure um, motives and intentions, because ultimately we also felt callings on our life. To be honest, I didn't trust myself. There's other things I've walked away from too. I think that sports gambling would be super fun. And I haven't placed one bet because I know myself and I don't trust myself. And I think that I would get, it's just an avoidance. It doesn't make me any better or any, it's just, it's something that I have an awareness about myself that I don't trust myself in that area. I think for sure the Titans are going to win today, right? Okay. He's all about the Titans. Okay. Angela's all about the Titans. I, I, I think that there are times when I'm just so confident that I'm like, man, well, I could put 50 bucks on that and I could turn that 50 bucks into more than 50 bucks. I don't do it. But sometimes those things that I don't do because of motives that are compelled by Christ's love are mistaken for other things. Oh, well, he thinks, fill in the blank. The call isn't to make everybody understand why we live a certain life or why we do the things that we do. The call is to be faithful and obedient to our king. And when he invites us to do something, that's where we want to go. Everything we do should be to call people back to God. And with that trust in his sovereignty in place, we also have to view people through his perspective and imagine what may actually be going on inside Hadn't read this part of the scripture yet, but into the next chapter, 2 Corinthians, we read the the second half of 2 Corinthians 5. This is heading into chapter 6 right now. Verses 1 and 2 say, as God's partners, we've been called Christ's ambassadors, we're called God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the quote-unquote right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I I read a tweet. um, For those of you who are on Twitter, I I, I read a tweet from a, a student at South. It said, I hate school because we're forced to be surrounded with people who know our name and not our story, but still judge us anyway.
people are dying to be loved by us. Some of them know it more than others. But we have got to put on a full pursuit. That is our invitation, to put on a full pursuit. We have to be creative and find engaging ways to communicate Jesus and his message of hope. So here's the good news. It's our day. Now more than ever, the world, the world is as confused as ever, okay? Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. We, our opportunity, if you hear nothing else this morning, we have an opportunity. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you have an opportunity to be Christ's ambassadors, God's partners in this, and invite people to him, okay? And so I'm going to invite you to something. On Thursday night, September 26th, we're going to be leading a, a, what we call a three-story training. We're, we're partnering with Arlington United Methodist Church. It's a Thursday night at their facility. And um, I'm going to be facilitating a training called Three Story. It's, a way, it's not a method of evangelism. It's not a, a, these are the 12 steps that you take to lead someone to Christ. It's, a, it's simply an acknowledgement of a way that God has wired us to use our stories, to hear people's stories, and to help connect them to God's story. Okay? So I want to invite you to that. Um, it's Thursday night, September 26th, at Arlington United Methodist Church, 630 to 830. We'll get the, um, the stuff in the bulletin for next week. Um, but I want, want to invite you to do that. That's the part two of this message. That's the part two of this message, because I, it, it is simply a training and empowering to say, okay, I want that. How? How? And we're going to dive into that on that night. So I want to, that was kind of a, a, this is a primer for that. This is part one of part two. Um, we, um, that is it for today. We are going to, we're going to take offering. We're going to sing one more song. Um, but I just want to pray. God, will you just, you know, I, I, as I'm praying here, I just, God, I thank you. I, a couple months ago, I got a text from one of my best friends. And it was one of the sweetest moments of celebration I've ever had. My friend is in his 30s, mid-30s. And he has prayed for his grandpa every night since he was in high school. Because my friend experienced the sweetness that is Jesus at a young age. He's followed Jesus. He's walked with Jesus. He's been transformed by Jesus. He lives a life devoted to Jesus. And about, gosh, two or three months ago, my friend Andy got a text, or texted us, that he had just gotten a call from his grandpa, who he had been praying for for over two decades, to come to know how sweet Jesus is. And his grandpa was so pumped. His grandpa was so pumped. He, had a, he said, I, I actually prayed to accept Jesus a couple days ago, but I wanted to wait a couple days to make sure it, st to make sure it stuck. But I got to let you know, grandson, 
I'm tasting and I'm seeing how good Jesus is. He went to his workplace. He's got a couple of work sites, and he went and told all of his workers about how he had just accepted Jesus after his whole life. And my friend was so pumped. And he had been part of an army of people who were yelling, Come back to God. Today is the day of salvation. So if that's you, if you're in that place where you're like, gosh, that is not my reality. That is not what I know. That is, I, I, I keep hearing this stuff and I have not. I invite you to come up and I'm going to pray with you. I want to pray with you. If you've never accepted Jesus, what if, that, what if that's true for you? Today is the day of salvation. I know many of you have, many of you are, are still wrestling with it. That's fine. But I just want to invite you into this space to say, what if today's the day I just stand up and say, you know what, I'm in. What if today's that day? I want to invite you to that. We are going to sing another song. We're going to collect tithes and offerings. Holy Spirit, come. (coughs) Excuse me. Continue Continue to fill this place. Inspire us. Lord, your love compels us. May we be so compelled that we look different this week than we did last. May we die a little bit more to ourselves and allow you to live more in us. Come, Holy Spirit.